0: Our Old Testament scripture lesson comes out of the uh, book of Psalms, chapter 42. And I'm going to read the whole uh, psalm. It's on page 881 in your Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go uh, with the multitude, uh, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I am yet... Praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast with me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzur. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs His love... At night his song is with me, my prayer to the Lord God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Here's the word of the
1: Lord. Thanks be to God. The blood that Jesus shed for me back on Calvary. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. Cool of blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never. rise all my tears the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power. it reaches to the highest
0: the problem is with most churches, but doing a really deep study this week on this topic, the problem, what is the problem with most churches? Well, the answer is very simple, they're filled with people like us. We're all sinners, all of us, me included, living in various stages of forgiveness and renewal, regeneration. We all have shortcomings. I I know this could be a shock to some of you, but all of us have shortcomings, and these are things that that we just need to uh, deal with and address. Some of us even have abnormal quirks. I won't mention anybody by name, but I'll just, I pointed at you so that's enough. See, churches really are hospitals full of wounded people trying to get well. And all of us long for a life filled with something more. We want church to be a place of welcome, a safe place, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we feel left out and excluded. You know, I attended here 2 years before I became your interim pastor and the first year I wasn't sure I was coming back every Sunday. Nobody talked to me. It was a very interesting process. Now, I understand I sat in the corner and over here and just hid most of the time, but still, you know, sometimes churches can make you feel excluded and left out. Many of you here believe that well, church isn't really like that, Randy. I'm not experiencing anything like that, yet I've talked to people in this church, some who've almost left because of this very problem. Let me give you a little quiz. I'm going to share a television theme song with you that speaks about our longing and see if you know which show it belongs to. I'm not going to sing the lyrics, I'm just going to read them. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be there. You can see the troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Now all of a sudden... Lights started going on. I could see people smiling and thinking of it. Some of you just went, I have no idea who that is. I get it. But so where is this place where people are all the same and and where everyone wants to know your name and they're glad you came? Well, as far as TV is concerned, Cheers, the neighborhood bar, is that place. You know, that show, because of what it says to us, will be with us in reruns for the rest of our lives now some observations here in the neighborhood bar people there really don't care if you're there or not and most of them don't know your name and it would take you six months of regularly going there for that even to begin to happen for you you know uh, I've longing have a longing for a church to be more like Cheers No, I don't mean we need to start serving beer. Okay, I want to get that clear. But I agree with Bruce Larson and Keith Miller in a book that they wrote a number of years ago, The Edge of Adventure, when they say the neighborhood bar is probably the best counterfeit there is for fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is permissive and accepting and an inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to be known, to be loved, and to, and, and to love And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. But there's an interesting phenomenon happening in the church today. Yeah, it happens in younger churches. And yes, my son, uh, they're doing it in their church. number of churches are doing Bible studies in bars. They call it theology on tap. People are getting together. John has somewhere between 11 and 12... Uh, Once a month that come together for Bible study, they share their lives, and yes, some of them even drink a beer while they're doing it. I'm not overly fond of that, but I understand. If churches were places where people felt they could come, you know, warts and all, and be accepted just as they are, we probably wouldn't have so many wayward saints Instead, many churches seem to demand that we live our troubles at the door and don masks of having it all together before we enter, and strangely, for some reason, we in the church at the same time let our usually well-hidden prejudice emerge to judge and exclude people different from us. This is something I believe that grieves the heart of God. I believe it's fair to say that God forces us to confront the uh, scandal of our prejudices when they stand in the way of people coming to faith. Well, the scripture I'm going to read to you today um, is a long one. I'm sorry about that, but um, it's the the Samaritan woman. Um, It's chapter 4 of the book of John, but there are a number of of prejudices that Jesus confronts. Uh, Let's uh, hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord uh, learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his sons, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. "'How can you ask me for a drink? "'For Jews do not associate with Samaritans.' "'Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God "'and who it is that asks you for a drink, "'you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you living water. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'you have nothing to draw with, "'and the well is deep. "'Where can you get this living water? "'Are you greater than your father Jacob?' who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did, so, did also his sons and flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, For everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman who But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say uh, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he uh, harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. What a story. John loves to expand on stories. This isn't in any of the other Gospels. John loves to tell us things that, Really, we need to hear. John is trying to explain how Jesus was breaking down prejudices in his society. He's talking about how people can come to faith, how they can grow. And I, I love this passage because Jesus says something and the woman deflects it and tries to, to create something else. And then Jesus gives another statement and then the woman comes. It's just like you and me. When Jesus is speaking to us through the word of God Earth hopefully through a sermon now and then, um, we tend to deflect as fast as we can so that we didn't really hear it. It doesn't really penetrate us. We, we let it ricochet off us and hope it hits the person sitting next to us. And, and, and if you don't think it's hitting them very well, you poke them in the side with your elbow. Jesus and his followers were going north. First they were down by the water uh, baptizing, and then they, they moved their way up towards Jerusalem, and then they had a decision to make about going to Galilee. The most direct route was through Samaria, but most Jews took the long way down by the Jordan River and came back up around. The Samaritans were descendants of two groups. First, they were those who were not deported or killed in the fall of the northern kingdom, And second, they were foreign colonists brought in from Babylonia by the Assyrians, who through intermarriage became part of the Samaritans. The Jews hated them because they were not pure Jews, but half-breeds. They related to non-Jewish people, and they were hated. Jesus takes his followers right through Samaritan lands to Jacob's well, and there he rests. The disciples go into the city to find food. Jesus then talks to a Samaritan woman. Now it's interesting, in in the time they had a big well and everybody had their own bucket and their own rope. And when they got to the well, they would throw their own bucket connected to their rope into the water and pull it up. There was no rope connected to anything there. You brought your own. Jesus didn't have one. The guys had it probably with them and he was thirsty and so he goes to this Samaritan woman and says, can, can I get a drink? And it shocks her. She's overwhelmed. You're a Jew. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're a man and you're not supposed to talk to me. You're a rabbi and you're not supposed to talk to me. Jesus breaks down some of the prejudice in his society. Jews, Samaritans male, female, rabbi, religious leader, female. And he addresses each one of these and he tries to help her see beyond and to expand her beliefs and her understanding. But it wasn't easy. She didn't really want to hear it, so she deflected most of it. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. But this speaks to two uh, barriers of prejudice. Jesus breaks through first the racist barrier. She was a Samaritan, a half-breed, a race no longer pure. And then he breaks through the sexist barrier. Rabbis didn't talk to women openly in public, period. She was also a woman with a questionable past. And he also breaks through the uh, masks which we hide our painful and sensitive feelings about who we really are. What happens at this well that John is teaching us about is that one human being is both found out and found by Jesus. You see, there cannot... Uh, in reality be good news that abundant life uh, unless the real message is addressed. Most of us in this room are hiding behind our masks thinking that Jesus offers salvation and forgiveness and love to the self-created image we've presented to the world. You following me there? You and I have created a self-image that we present to the world. This is who I am. It's not really who I am, but this is what I want the world to think, who I am. But each of us here in this room has been found out by Jesus. He sees behind the mask. He knows who we really are, especially when nobody else is looking. And he still loves us. Did you hear that? He still loves us loves us he also has found us the real us and offers us wholeness love and forgiveness in our response to that offer we first must confront our own prejudices why well uh, in the Lord's prayer recorded in Matthew 6 we read forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors Did you hear that? The conditional clause? As we also have forgiven. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Our forgiveness is based on the condition of forgiving. Let me me tell you, I'm, I'm not even... Prepared to share this, but I'm going to. My son got up this morning and said to me, Dad, just wanted you to know I got a text from uh, Linda and Krista, their family members back in Ohio, that they've brought in hospice for grandma. And I went, Okay. And I thought, Well, I'm going to tell you how bad I am. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm as serious as I can possibly be. She did some things to my wife when my wife was in the hospital. And I had to leave my wife in Ohio for a, a summer while she was getting healed and getting stronger. And and her mom came and, well, we finally had to have her mom uh, could no longer come into the hospital because her mom was creating terrible things for my wife. And it was just, it was history things from the family. And I really got upset with my mother-in-law and and. Finally, basically said, I'm sorry, I apologize for this. Said that the next time I'd see her is when I danced on her grave. Sort what I said to her. So she knew. She said, well, you won't be invited. I said, okay, that's all right. I'll come back some other time. But I asked the Lord to forgive me for that heart, that evil heart in me. But I was doing it out of the fact that she had really, really, Uh, My wife almost died because of what my mother-in-law had done. I caught her doing things over my wife in the hospital bed who could not defend herself. And the doctors and I had, I mean, it was just horrendous. And I, I could not forgive her for what she did to her daughter. And God's been working on me for 15 years about this. And I have consistently gone to the Father and said, you know, I know, Father. I know the scripture that I just have been talking to you about. If I do not forgive, I will not be forgiven. And so, Father, help me to forgive. Even something as terrible as this. And today when my son said, well, Grandma Ruth is, is uh, under hospice, my heart was Okay. And I could say, well, God, we'll just pray that God will comfort her at this time. And I I sincerely meant it. And, and, And for me today was a day of forgiveness that I received. God opened the door and poured forgiveness in. There are things in your life you need to be asking for forgiveness for and forgiving others. For God will not give you forgiveness unless you ask and give forgiveness back. This is significant theology right now that John, no other writer of the gospel, uh, talks about. And we need to be aware of it. We need to know, for we can actually get Forgiveness. I know it's hard, trust me, but battling it for 15 years. But it can happen in our own lives. All of us wrestle with prejudices. You say, well, I'm not prejudiced. Yes, you are. You are. We all are. It's just the way it is. The, the problem for some of us, we wouldn't call it prejudice. We just call it double talk. You know, have a dual standard in life. You know, you say one thing out of one side of your mouth and something else out of the other side of your mouth, depending on who you're with. Some of you know about that. Examples. Oh, you know, you, you, you should witness to non-Christians, but you don't associate with any non-Christians, so you don't have to worry about what's uncomfortable for you. Or you know you're to treat all people with Christian love except for, and then you fill in the blank, you know, that person down the street, my next-door neighbor, it could be a brother-in-law, it could be a sister, it could be, well, you know how to fill that in. We know we're to worship and to love our God with our whole heart our whole mind, our whole soul. But you wouldn't be caught dead raising your hands in a church or clapping in church and quite quietly you think less of those who do. Prejudice, double talk. We all suffer from it. Double talk actually comes from a divided heart. There's so many kinds of prejudices. There's racial, uh, denominational prejudice. You know, you look down at Episcopalians or Bible-thumping Baptists or holy rolling Charismatics or God's frozen chosen the Presbyterians. There's worship prejudice. I only use the Book of Common Prayer or I only go to praise and worship services or I only attend traditional worship. Well, there, there's political uh, prejudice, and we're all experiencing that in our uh, country today. We say things like, I can't believe you're a Christian and vote along those political lines, whatever those lines are. Then there's a prejudice in terms of age. You know, I used to say I wouldn't listen to anyone uh, over the age of 30. And then when I cross 30, and then 40, and then 50, and then 60, well, that number has changed. If you're 70, I won't trust a word you say. Only got one year left to be able, then I cross that one, and then I'm, I'm pushing it up. Or how about you won't take seriously someone, you know, who's just a kid at age 50. This is a big issue for the next pastor coming in. Some of you who are a little bit advanced beyond 50 Need to be aware, when I was at Trinity, God love them, I had a group of guys that wanted to keep me humble. And so when I hit 40, well, you know, you're just a kid. Okay, yeah. When I hit 50, well, you know, you're just a kid. Yeah, okay. When I hit 60, they still say, well, you know, you're only a kid. I said, yeah, you're an old fart. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. That just sort of slipped out, really. I, I, I didn't mean to say that. Wow because we'll have age prejudice. You're going to get somebody younger than you as your pastor. Don't put that upon them. Man, I'm going to pay for that. I knew it. Oh, wow. Could we erase that out of the tape? I'd like that just stricken. No. My buddy's up there. Forget it. There's no way that's going out. Our dreams are limited not because of our thoughts are too small, but because our hearts are too small. I believe Jesus Christ calls us to break out of the fear that is really at the root of our prejudice. God I believe would have us learn how to honor people who are not like us. How do we honor them? By sharing God's love in us with them. It's as simple as loving the world more than what we're doing right now. I wanna share a story with you that happened a few years ago. Friend of mine, Leon Tompkins, was the Metro Director of Young Life of San Diego area. He shared with me this story. It's about Hitter. He was a member of the Skyline Bloods. He was kicked out of Hoover High School for beating up a teacher. He was kicked out of Garfield because he just couldn't make it there. You know the kind of kid, you uh, once you see them on the other side of the street, you'd go to the other side of the street and walk that way. Or if they were in the mall, you'd go to the other side of the mall just to stay away from them. He was that, he looked that scary and he was that kind of a guy. Hitter was a child, as a child was moved every other year of his life from one foster home to another. Leon was at the airport one day renting a car talking to the car rental person and he was telling her what he did and you know just kind of chit chat and she said to him my brother needs something like young life so she gave Leon his telephone number well Leon lost the telephone number three months later God put back in his mind that, that, that young man And so Leon went back to the car rental place, uh, didn't need a car rental, but got the number again and called the house to talk to Hitter. They set up an appointment. Hitter answered the phone and Leon shared what he wanted. Uh, Hitter's mom did answer the phone. And she said, I've been praying for a man to come into my son's life for 41 and a half years. Leon and the boy met. Within two weeks, Hitter gave his life to the Lord and is beginning a long journey out of the gang life. Leon asked that anybody that hears about Hitter's life pray that Hitter will stay with the Lord. There's no, you know, it, it could not happen or it could happen. It depends on what God is doing and where Hitter is in his life. Leon said that if he uh, uh, left his natural urge, let his natural urge win out, he would have ended the time with Hitter the first day that Hitter's Rambo knife fell out of his pocket. But he didn't. See, I think one of the things we need to do is to remember our prejudices can block us from God's dreams for our life. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you here would be called to work with a hitter. But maybe there is somebody God would lead you to. Someone different than you. And the Lord will use you to make an eternity difference in their life. Louis Evans, Jr., was the pastor of National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and then became pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And he said this, I can build a wall with my bare hands that I can never tear down with my bare hands. I can build a wall of brick and mortar. Once it hardens, I can never take it down with my hands only. See, that's the problem with our attitudes We say or do something casually once or twice and never realize we're getting, we're setting a brick in place all the time. A wall is beginning to be built between us and the world. We have a choice. We can go through life building higher walls with the bricks of ignorance and fear, or we can take down those walls creating openings, one relationship at a time. There's no other way to break down prejudice except one relationship at a time. See, God trusts us, God believes in us, and God wants to show us the way through the walls, over the walls, behind the walls, to reach out with his love to this lost world. Today, this week, would you ask the Lord to show you a wall, a prejudice that you can confront? Be bold about it. It could be a neighbor in your neighborhood or your office or your community or even in this church. This kind of ministry God is calling us to is really the ministry of the well. Jesus is our example and he calls for us to come and follow his example. Now, I should close the sermon right now, but uh, I've already got myself in trouble twice. But I'm going to go on just a little bit further. Because I want to talk for just a moment about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's found in verse uh, 23. But the hour is coming and is now here. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus is now telling us that the new worship is now here among Jesus' followers. Jesus is announcing that a new time had come. True followers are to be recognized by the way they worship. Here Jesus defines real worship. According to him, worship would take on uh, two new aspects, in spirit and in truth. Now the expression in spirit refers to the human spirit, the immaterial inner life of each person. God breathed... uh, the God-breathed entity that corresponds to the nature of God himself, who is spirit. According to Jesus, worship involves the person's awareness of that personal spring of living water that God has planted in him or her. God indwells all believers. That is where true worship takes place. Our body can be anywhere, yet worship can occur as our attention and our praise are turned towards God. We need to consciously focus on God when we are in the house of worship because we easily assume that our presence in church is all that we need in order to worship. That's not true at all. Some of us can come and sit through the service and go home and and we know how long the service lasted, but we can't remember exactly when we actually worship the Lord during that worship service. If we're not worshiping in spirit, our worship will be dry and lifeless. Worship not done in truth becomes deceitful and lifeless. True worshipers worship truthfully. In contrast, fleshy fleshy or false worship Would be uh, pretending to be someone or something we're not. Practicing self-righteousness by denying our constant need for God's mercy and grace. We're told that God is spirit. In the Greek text, the word spirit comes first for emphasis. Spirit is what God is. That's the exact literal translation. The definition of the nature of God is he is spirit. God is not a physical being limited to place and time as we are. What God isn't, he's never tired, he's never distant, he's never distracted, he's not limited by time and space, and he can be present in all people. He cannot be destroyed or overpowered. In Christ, God experienced all our weaknesses firsthand. He knows them, but they do not control him. Because we will leave our present limitations behind and be fully in God's spiritual presence. Worship includes saying to God, now hear this, because I close with this. Thank you for understanding where I am, God. I can hardly wait to be where you are. So we come today to worship in spirit and in truth. And let go of our prejudices. So as we close our service, as I close this sermon, I want to ask you to to ask God to show you one prejudice that you have that he'd like you to deal with in the next weeks to come. Let's pray. Father God. You have so much that you want to teach us. Help us to confront a prejudice in our life. Help us to come and learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. So that our worship is not dull. That the thing we remember most of all is Randy slipping up with crazy words. Or or whatever they may be. But that we can enter in to worship with you that we break down the prejudice that hold us away from you, that we begin to touch our world for the kingdom of God. Help us to be bold, for we are fearful of doing those kinds of things. But you can make us bold. You are with us. Your spirit is within us and gives us the strength and the words and the love to be able to share with the world. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care, and this day that you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.